We're going to dive into God's word today. Thomas read to us from 1 Kings chapter 8, and it was a long passage. But that was the passage, that was what Solomon said at the completion of the original temple. The original temple that Solomon built, that Solomon was responsible for putting together. We have been working on this project for just under 18 months. And there are times where as we were worshiping in the fellowship hall, it felt full. It felt tight. And we thought, when are we going to be done? Well, guess what? We're done, and it was only 18 months. Solomon built the temple 480 years after the Exodus. Does nobody think that's like a lot of time? 480 years after the Exodus that Solomon finally was able to complete the temple. Significant event. A major event in Israel's history. In fact, really the culmination of the Exodus. If you think about the Exodus, what happened in the Exodus, the people left Egypt, come into the promised land, they finally finish their wanderings, and they just sort of set up camp in the promised land. And they did that for years, where they just sort of had to camp there, really for 440 years or so. And finally, 440 years after wandering in the land of Egypt— They build the temple. They establish themselves. We are God's people, and this is our permanent place. That is the passage that we are looking at when we look at 1 Kings chapter 8. When we look at Solomon's speech of dedication, what I want you to see in the passage, and if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8, we will be digging through this. What I want you to see is that we need to, at all times, And in all ways, make sure that our efforts reflect a knowledge and belief that God is our God. At all times, our efforts must reflect the fact that God is our God. He is the one that we serve. So today, we're going to dig into 1 Kings chapter 8, and we will explore Solomon's dedication. We will dig through it, and I think we're going to see that Solomon's speech of dedication shows us a lot of what it looks like to honor God as God, to hold God as our God. Solomon begins his speech after the Ark of the Covenant has arrived at the temple. So while we already read it once, we're not going to read through the whole passage again, but I do want to pull out specific little pieces of the passage for you. And we will start by looking at verses 23 through 26. So if you want to look in your Bibles at 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 23 through 26, and then we'll dig into it. Solomon speaking says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, 
let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. Our God, the God we serve, the God who is our God, our God is the loving promise keeper. Our God, the loving promise keeper. Look at what Solomon says in that passage. He starts off by reminding us that like no other, God's love is always faithful. Like no other, God's love is always faithful. Verse 23 paints a beautiful picture. Beautiful language to describe God's uniqueness. There is none like you on heaven above or earth below. You keep your covenant of love. That word covenant of love is a translation of the Hebrew word chesed. That word brings with it a whole lot of meaning that I don't even know that we can really comprehend. It's this idea of loyal, loyal love, complete love, full covenantal love. One writer writing about the word chesed said it's the sort of love that is not an obligation. It's not legalism. It's not a desire to control. It's not there for personal gain. No, what it is, is it's a motivating love that leads God to form a covenant relationship with us where he will never leave us. It is the ultimate form of love. That is God's love. His faithful covenant promised love. Like no other, God's love is always faithful. And that is where we start. As we look to give praise to God, we start with God's faithful covenant love. We can praise God because of his love. But more than that, we can praise God because God is a promise keeper. See, God is, has been, and always will be a promise keeper. How does Solomon get to that? He reminds us of the promises that God had made to David. Solomon details some of these promises. David, he messed up a lot. Think about that for a second. Bathsheba, big mistake. You know, when you make a mistake and follow it up with a worse mistake, that was David. Because after Bathsheba was Uriah, who David has murdered to cover up his mistake with Bathsheba. As if David hadn't learned his lesson, shortly thereafter, David decides that he's going to take a census, something that God explicitly had forbidden. David made mistakes, lots of them. But God, the promise keeper, was faithful to David, despite David's mistakes. Solomon, David's son, became king. Despite David's mistakes, God allowed Solomon 
to build the temple that David had planned and prepared for. See, if there was anybody who God could have said, you know, I know I said that I was going to take care of you. I know I said I was going to give you a kingdom, but you kind of blew it and I'm moving on. It would have been David. God could have told David, you screwed up big time. You're no longer eligible for those promises. Instead, God, the faithful promise keeper, was faithful to David through Solomon. Since God is a faithful promise keeper, we can count on God to keep his promises. We here today, just like Solomon, can count on God to keep his promises. Solomon noted what God had promised. In verses 25 through 26, Solomon reminded God, which really means he's reminding himself because God doesn't need reminded. Solomon reminded God of the promises that God had made. And Solomon faithfully says, God, you're going to keep these promises. In light of your love, in light of the fact that you're a promise keeper, I can count on you, God. What is the promise that Solomon was so confident in? An eternal kingdom. Now, I don't think... Solomon even understood, I don't think we even understood, the significance, what it means for an eternal kingdom. I will tell you, in my personal walk, the thing I struggle with the most is the concept of eternity. That is the thing I struggle with the most. I can fathom what it looks like to live the next decade of my life. I can even fathom what it looks like to live to be 80 I struggle when I start thinking about what it would look like to live to be 100. I really struggle to think about what it would look like a thousand years from now. None of those are eternal. None of those match eternity. Solomon, in his faith to God, in his praise to God, notes, God, you have promised an eternal kingdom. Keep that promise, God. Remember that you have promised an eternal kingdom. Based on what? Based on your character, God. You are the loving promise keeper. And even though I don't fathom eternity, God, I know you've promised me eternity. Even though I can't fathom what an eternal kingdom would be, you've promised it. I know one day I personally will sit under the kingdom of Jesus Christ in an eternal kingdom coming from the line of David, I have no idea what that looks like. It's well beyond anything I can comprehend. But God has promised it, and he is our faithful, loving promise keeper. Today, as we dedicate our sanctuary, I want us to follow in Solomon's shoes and praise God in our prayer, for being a faithful promise keeper. How are we going to praise God for being the faithful promise keeper? We're going to have to know his promises. Let me give you an action step. Something that we need to do. We need to take time to make sure that we know God's promises. This is important. 
Solomon knew what God had promised to David. And as a result, he praised God in anticipation of God fulfilling those promises. We need to do the same. And I will tell you right now, the way that you're going to know God's promises is only by studying God's word. We need to know the promises that God has for us so that we can praise him. So that as we dedicate, as we go forward, because today is just the beginning of our worshiping God in this room, as we go forward, that we can praise God for his promises. Have you ever skipped over the fine print on a document? Sometimes there's actually good things in the fine print. So, you, first of all, those of you who know me know that I won't be able to go a sermon without an airplane example. So, here it is. But the fine print, I was talking with a, a friend back in June, and uh, he had loaned another friend his airplane, and the other friend actually on takeoff made a mistake and crashed the airplane. Nobody was hurt, but they totaled the airplane out, um, like a $300,000 airplane. Well, the fine print of the insurance said that if you loan it to somebody and they don't meet these minimum qualifications, the insurance won't cover it. And this other friend didn't meet the minimum qualifications. So that's a big deal. (laughs) But the friend had an insurance policy on his other airplane. And as they read the fine print of that insurance policy, there was a line. If you are flying somebody else's airplane of a similar type, we will cover this other person's airplane. The fine print saved them. We need to read the fine print. I know there are a lot of words here. Thomas read a lot of words, and he didn't even read the whole chapter. But we need to know God's promises so that we can praise God in the storm because he has promised us eternal life. Solomon begins by praising God through promise. But he continues on. Let's look at verses 27 through 30. Solomon says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Our God is transcendent and holy, yet intimately involved. Our God is transcendent. He exists above anything we can fathom. He is holy, completely set apart, unique, unlike anything we know. 
Yet the transcendent and holy God is intimately involved in our lives. This is something that has been really hitting me hard lately. The transcendent, holy God cares about me, but not just in general. He cares about each and every moment of my life. The word we use for that is that God has condescended. But you don't need to know the big, deep word. Know that God is intimately involved in your life. Solomon begins with this statement. Essentially, he says, no creation can measure up to our God. No creation can measure up to our God. I am completely amazed at our building. As I watched the transformation over the last almost 18 months, it has blown my mind to see how we have moved to where we're at now. We posted on Facebook a before and after picture. And it's hard to imagine it's even the same room. But as beautiful as this sanctuary is, it is nothing compared to God. It does not hold a candle to the throne room of God. What we have done is beautiful, but it is not even comparable to our God. We have to understand that. That nothing we do, nothing we do is as beautiful as our God. Yet, God condescends to hear the prayers of his people. God joins us at our level, even though nothing we do compares to him. God joins with us. He condescends. He hears our prayers. I think Solomon realizes this in verse 28. In verse 27, he begins talking about God. Really, God? I built you this temple, but really it's, it's not enough. Are you really going to accept my offering? And on realizing that God has condescended to his level, Solomon falls on his knees in awe of God and begins to pray. That's amazing. I have uh, a lot of adopted nieces and nephews, and they like to give me artwork. And I love their artwork. I actually keep every piece of it. I have a folder filled with drawings. About nine months ago, I uh, had one of them displayed in my office, because I usually keep, keep one displayed in my office. And uh, one of my nieces walked in my office and said, oh, you have my drawing up. I said, yes, of course I do. I have all of your drawings, and this is the one I chose to put up today. She said, well, why did you do that? I said, because you made it for me. You took the time to make it for me. And so while 
for everybody else, they might walk in and wonder, wonder what that drawing's about. Because you made it for me, I think of it as the most beautiful piece of artwork that I have. I think that that may be how God looks upon what we have done here. Does this sanctuary match the beauty of the throne room? No. Not at all. Is it our best for our Savior? Yes. And I suspect that that fact, that fact alone makes this precious in God's sight. That's the God we serve. He listens, he condescends to his people, and he hears their prayers. And so Solomon offers some prayer to the God who comes down and loves at our level. When we started talking through this project and really, really started picking up speed, we said, together we grow, together we pray. And we began to pray. And God answered prayers in ways that are unfathomable. We started praying for the contractor that we thought would give us the opportunity to give the most glory to God because they were Christians. And the day before the bidding option closed, that contractor showed up in the building and I about fell over because God was answering prayer. That contractor was the low bidder and that's the contractor we went with. We prayed specifically and God answered specifically time and time again. And so you might think now, now that we're done with the project, we're done praying, right? No. We're going to double down on this. Let's look at Solomon's prayer and let's turn it into action steps. The first thing that Solomon does is he prays that God would carry out justice. So let's make that an action step. In this room, as we serve, let's pray for God's justice. For God's justice. Think about this for a second. Solomon is the wisest person to have ever lived. The wisest person to have ever lived. If there was anybody who knew what justice was, it was Solomon. But Solomon instead prays for God to carry out justice. We live in a world where justice is about as twisted as it could be. Let's pray that God takes care of our world justly. That he transforms lives justly. That our church is a beacon of godly justice. We need to humbly ask God for justice. And willingly accept what God gives. That's the first thing Solomon prays for in the temple. God's justice. He also prays in verses 33 through 40, that God would accept repentance. 
as we go forward in this room, let's pray that God accepts repentance. Now, remember, is God going to accept repentance? Yes. Absolutely. So why are we praying that God accepts repentance? Because prayer transforms our hearts. And as we pray that God accepts repentance, we are going to be convicted of sin and reminded that God accepts repentance. And we will come to God repentant. Let's begin to pray for repentance. Let's go on, though. We pray for justice. We pray for repentance. Verses 41 through 43, Solomon prays for the lost, for those who are outside of the covenant community, in this building, in this room. Let's pray that God calls the lost. There are millions, billions who do not know our God. May God call them to salvation. And let's make this room a room of prayer that people would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Solomon also prays that God would protect those who pray. Let's make this a pattern. Let's use this room to pray that God protects those who pray to him. If you have ever read about martyrs in the world, it's sobering. If you've ever known someone who has endured persecution for the cause of Christ, it is sobering. Let's make this room a room where we pray for those around the world who need God's protection. In verses 46 through 51, Solomon prays for those who have wandered away. Many, many in this room know people who once professed Christ and have now wandered away from their Savior. In this room, let us pray for those who have ever strayed, that they might come back to enjoy the complete and full life that comes through relationship with the Savior. Let's pray that God restores those who have wondered. Finally, Solomon prays that God would notice and remember his own. Again, God has already promised to notice and remember his own. This prayer is a humble prayer in which we submit ourselves to God and we admit that we cannot do anything on our own. We must have God. Let us use this room to pray that God might remember us. Why? Because God's going to forget us? No. Because we need to humbly admit that there is nothing we can do on our own. It is only through the empowering of God. We don't need to remind God to be faithful. 
but we need to be reminded that God is faithful. I'm not going to read through the whole passage because there's just a lot there, but I do want us to skip to verses 62 through 66. Now I want to read those again with you. Solomon, in his dedication of the temple, is about to offer sacrifice. Listen to what Solomon does. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. On that same day, the king consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar that stood before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at that time, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt, They celebrated it before the Lord, our God, for seven days and seven days more, 14 days in all. On the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king and then went home, joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. Our God is worthy of our hearts. God is worthy of your heart heart. He is. He is worthy. We praise him because of his promises. We praise him through who he is. And he is worthy of your heart. Look at the response Solomon makes to God. A proper response to God is self-sacrificing. The numbers given here are extraordinary. I grew up just down the street from a feedlot. It was about a mile up the street. At times it stunk, literally. This feedlot was about a mile long and just under a mile wide. It held 60,000 cattle. So that's how much it took to hold 60,000 cattle. Solomon offers 22,000 cattle, so a third of that. So think a mile long by a third of a mile wide. Cattle, shoulder to shoulder. Solomon offers all of those cattle in a sacrifice to God, and so much so that there's not enough space in the temple to do it, and so he has to sanctify space around the temple because they can't do all the sacrificing there. If you estimate a cattle, a cow is probably worth about $1,500, $33 million worth of beef is slaughtered for this party. That's a lot. We're going to have a fellowship meal here after the service. We didn't spend $33 million on the food. Sorry. (laughs) A proper response of God is offering. By the way, that's just the cattle. Uh, 120,000 sheep. I have never had to be a shepherd of sheep. So I don't know, but I hear, because my brother actually did this for a little while. I hear that sheep are, are really stubborn and kind of a pain to try to lead. I can't imagine trying to lead 120,000 of these. (laughs) 
A lot of work went into this. But God was worthy of the work. They enter into a fellowship offering. In a fellowship offering, the people eat together. Actually, we learn this was the Feast of Tabernacles around Thanksgiving a long time ago. God happened to have dedication Sunday fall at the same time we had planned our Thanksgiving meal. It's not coincidence. That's God's working. And in verse 65, I'm reminded that the proper response to God involves everyone. All the people come together. All the people come together. And they make their sacrifices. Thousands of people. An enormous area for two weeks. God is worthy of our honor. God is worthy of our hearts. Finally, in verse 66, I learn that the proper response to God will not leave you unchanged. How do you know whether you have responded properly to God? The question is, are you the same? If you walk away the same after interacting with God, you missed it. But if you walk away different, then God has done a work in your life. Our God is worthy of changing. We change for our God. So my final action step for you. Take a second. Write a response. How is God changing you? What does God want you to work on? Where does he want you to grow? A proper response to God involves change. Why? Because he's worthy of your heart. And every single one of us hold out pieces of our heart for ourselves. We hold back a piece for ourselves. Our God is worthy of our hearts. So how is God changing you? Today, we dedicate our sanctuary. Not to ourselves. Not to our church. Not to our city. Not to our country. We dedicate our sanctuary to our God. He alone is worthy. He alone is the one who will bring glory to this sanctuary. I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to pray. But I want us to stand for this prayer. If you would like to, I invite you to even put a hand on the shoulder. Because we do this together. We do this in unity. We dedicate to our God together. Let's pray. God, you are the ruler of heaven. You are the ruler of earth. But they, heaven and earth, are merely creations of yours. We cannot fathom who you are. The transcendent and holy God of the universe, entirely set apart 
entirely above all that has ever been created. But yet, you and your love for us have condescended. You interact with us. You even sent Jesus, your son, to die on the cross for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. You've promised eternal life to all who accept Christ's payment. And so, as we celebrate in this sanctuary, as we look at the work that has been completed, we offer it to you. Not because it in any way compares with your throne room. Not because it is the most beautiful thing that has ever been created. No, we offer it to you because we have done this for you to bring you glory. And so we pray that this room would bring you glory. I pray that you would be in this room, that you would work in our hearts, that for decades to come, this room would represent God, that people would come to this room and pray to you, that people would come to this room and accept your offer of salvation, that people would come to this room and bring their burdens of sin that they might release them through the Savior. Pray that this room would come to be a place of prayer, of prayer for our own lives, of prayer for the lives of brothers and sisters who join us, of prayer for brothers and sisters throughout the world who are proclaiming the gospel. Father, you have answered prayer already through this process. We have grown together. We have prayed together. But we're not done. I pray that you would make this a house of prayer. That for decades to come, for generations to come, people would get used to the idea that we come here and pray. I pray that when people walk in our doors, we would greet them with prayer. Father, I offer to you my prayer that you would work in my life personally, that I might pray more, that it might become so natural that people notice. seems like he always wants to pray for me. I pray that you would use this room to transform us into prayer warriors. So we dedicate this to you, God, as a place of prayer. May it bring you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.